Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Well, head knocks and concussions in sport, uh, all levels, are a serious concern. A new report headlined by Dr Chris Nowinski has uh, revealed that re- repetitive head impacts are a definite cause of CTE. Now, the big concern is what will sporting organisations do to acknowledge this and make steps to protect their players, especially the young, the children. Uh, One Kiwi neuroscientist who contributed to the research for that paper is Dr Helen Murray, based out of the University of Auckland, being an athlete who has represented New Zealand in both inline and ice hockey. This is an issue that uh, she wants to understand better through her research and make a difference for future athletes. And uh, Dr Murray joins us now. Uh, Helen, uh, good morning. If I can call you Helen, uh, welcome to the show. Kia ora. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely fine. Uh, Helen, okay, firstly this paper is known as the Bradford Hill Criteria. Can you explain what that criteria is? Yeah, exactly. So the Bradford Hill criteria are a set of uh, nine viewpoints or criteria that we can use to evaluate evidence that an environmental exposure causes a particular outcome. So in this case, that repetitive head injury causes CT pathology in the brain. And so by assessing the evidence against these viewpoints, we can determine whether we can justify moving from the idea that the exposure and the outcome are associated to actually having a verdict that there is causation between the two things. And these criteria were first proposed in 1965. They've been used for a whole lot of different um, types of questions. And probably the most uh, most profound one is they were used to examine the evidence that smoking causes lung cancer. So that's kind of the, the history behind using these criteria to answer a question like this. Okay, so um, if, if the smoking thing was uh, what initiated it originally, how modern has been the look at uh, concussion and brain injury? Yeah, so... I mean, it's important to note really that there's no single study in this case that can actually prove causation. And mostly that's because the type of study that we'd have to do is not ethical. You can't take sort of two groups of people and subject one group to repeated injury and one not and, and see what happens in a sort of controlled context. So we're always going to have to accept that this idea of causation is kind of a continuum of like highly likely to highly unlikely. And that is um, something that's, you know, across many different questions across history has been sort of used for. Um, But what we did here is we looked at all of the evidence on repeated head injury and CTE through the lens of this criteria. So uh, we really looked across the whole spectrum of evidence that has been that's out there um, since CTE has been described. What sports uh, were focused on during the research? 
Yeah, so, I mean, it's important to note as well that head injury can come from a lot of different types of exposure. So sport is probably the most high-profile one. There's lots of other types of head injury exposure as well. But we did find that there is a real consistency across seeing CT pathology in a whole range of sports, including, uh, for me, ice hockey, which was the, the one I was most interested in, but also American football, uh, soccer, um, wrestling, boxing, um, lacrosse, a whole different range of sports here. Uh, the elite female sport is on the rise. There's no doubt about that at the moment, uh, Helen. But with studies like this happening uh, post mortem, there has been much. Has there been much on how impact uh, head impacts affect women and compared to men? Yeah, that is such a great question, and obviously one I'm I'm very interested in for personal reasons. The the truth of the matter is is that women's sport at this sort of uh, repetitive head injury context is relatively new. So when we study the brains of people who have CTE, we're looking at people who died in their 80s, uh, 70s, that kind of thing, and the head injury exposures would have been 40 years earlier. And so we just don't have the evidence yet because we haven't sort of seen women come through this repetitive head injury. Uh, career to then study the brains later on. So at the moment, all of the evidence is is very, very um, based around male contact sport participants. Um, And obviously, I want to understand whether this this holds across um, women's sport as well. The paper clearly states that the repetitive head impacts cause the degenerative brain disease, CTE. How conclusive is this evidence? So I think that was one of the, the outcomes of the paper that was really surprising is the evidence is, is hugely strong. So there are, there are nine criteria that we, we looked against. And I think the strength of association criteria, which is that the outcome is more frequent in groups that have head injury exposure than groups without, that is probably the most robust um, and strong evidence out there that we just don't see CTE in populations of people who don't have repetitive head injury exposure. Um, but across all nine of the criteria that we assessed, the evidence stacked up was very, very strong. So I, I think we can confidently say that there is a causal relationship between the head injury and the pathology. And now it's really about, you know, what do we do with that knowledge? One of the interesting things uh, as we watch sport on television these days uh, is, of course, uh, a lot more attention being paid, to, uh, particularly in, in rugby union, uh, to concussion, Helen. Um, but they have what they call standard stand down period, standard protocol for answering questions on the field, doctors, examinations off the field, etc. But it, it must be very hard to know the extent of, of that particular concussion compared to another one. And so therefore, the periods of stand down, etc. must be a little bit up in the air, yeah? Yeah, and, and this is one of the questions I think we need to be putting the emphasis and effort into to answer. There is a huge difference between uh, people's symptoms between the, the concussion that they receive, how long that they will take to recover, those are going to be different between different people in different contexts. So it's, it's very difficult to, to say what is the, the right amount of time that you should be resting. But I think what this research is showing, and one of the criteria we looked at was was the biological gradient, which is if you have more head injury exposure, do you get more pathology? And we see that, yes, you do. So actually, it's it's almost about, it's more about how many head injuries you get over your career as opposed to the one massive concussion that, that we see and observe. So there's all these head knocks that are happening during trainings, during small um, sort of knocks that might not cause concussive symptoms, but they are contributing to the risk of developing CTE. So I think, I think what this research is saying is that we need to start thinking about how do we reduce 
the amount of exposure that someone is actually getting to these head injuries. When you started your study and, and throughout the studies that you've had to this point, have you been surprised um, at the extent of it, uh, of CTE and the real problem? Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, looking at the brains of, of people who have uh, this pathology, it is quite striking how much how much is changing in the brain and the, and the damage that is occurring. And, and talking to people who have come through um, long time after their playing career and they're experiencing symptoms, it has a really profound impact on people's quality of life. And I think all of these things are, are just really highlighting to me that this is something we have to pay attention to. And we need to, we need to do the research that is going to start generating outcomes and actually improving um, the situation. Your, your research investigates the uh, relationship between CTE and dementia. Of course, dementia's uh, hot on the agenda and uh, never more so than one of our most high-profile All Blacks and Carl Heyman. Uh, what have you uh, b- uh, what have you seen, and what have you uh, been able to, to glean from those studies in relation uh, the relation between those two things, CTE and dementia? Yeah, so the, this is the the real sort of fundamental aspect of our research is understanding what is actually happening between receiving these repetitive head injuries and developing symptoms down the line. What what is actually changing in the brain um, for these things to happen? And I think some of the things we've realised is you know. Traumatic brain injury or mild traumatic brain injury, concussions, repetitive head injuries, these are risk factors for a lot of different types of dementia. So not just CTE, but also Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. And understanding how you go from sort of head injuries during your playing career and then the processes and what's changing, that's what we're really trying to to understand with our research. So we're pairing up with um, brain banks around the world, including our own, to receive brain donations from people who have been um, exposed to repetitive head injuries. And we're going to study that tissue to understand how is CTE different to Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease and, and what can we actually understand about the processes that happen in the brain to, to, to get to that point. Alan, this, of course, um, you kind of expect this is going to affect people later in life, but, of course, um, that may not be the root cause of it. It could start very early on in the piece uh, as much as uh, youngsters playing football. And um, one of the things they're looking at, of course, at the moment is the repetitive heading of footballs, um, which um, obviously uh, could be a, a real issue. Um, do you see that as, 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 as such and uh, other sports as well uh, with the kids? Yeah, absolutely. And it comes back to what I was saying before about that duration of head injury exposure. We know from the studies that have been done that the more uh, head injuries you have, the more exposure you have, the higher the chance. So by reducing the amount of exposure, um, you know, stopping kids from experiencing these impacts young, you're you're decreasing that exposure by, you know, five, ten years, that kind of thing. So I think anything that we do to reduce uh, contact in sport for young children um, reduce head impacts through hitting the ball and that kind of thing in, in young children, that is going to help reduce the exposure and therefore reduce the risk of CTE. So I think those things are really important um, to look at. From what you've looked at, um, and you look at the, some of the world bodies that r- run in some of these vulnerable sports as such, is enough being done? Is there enough education out there for people taking part? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, the education aspect of it is is an important outcome what we hope from this study. We hope that by by putting this out there and really showing the evidence for a causal relationship, we can start to move past this debate of is it causal and actually get into 
uh, doing the research that really matters in terms of finding out, you know, what should sports be doing to reduce head injury exposure? What what can we do as athletes to reduce the risk? Um, and I think education is a huge piece of that. By by accepting that this is, this is an issue, athletes can start getting informed consent. We can start... Uh, allowing them to sort of make choices about their recovery from head injury exposures. And, and I think also sort of destigmatizing the, the seeking help for mental health issues, which can be an aspect of this as well. I would imagine over the years to do your research, you wouldn't have mind uh, getting hold of some of um, the brains of deceased boxers and UFC fighters, etc. That'd be interesting, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is a very new initiative here in New Zealand. So we only just launched um, the Sports Brain Bank Initiative uh, in the late late 2019, and that pesky pandemic kind of um, has put a put a slow on most things. But um, it's really important, I think, that we do this research here in New Zealand. A lot of it is happening overseas, and I think New Zealand needs to have um, a voice and, a, and a, understand the context of CTE in our sporting. Um, environment, and so it has been a relatively recent uh, endeavour. We we have opened sort of our neurological foundation of New Zealand Human Brain Bank to receiving these donations. So, yeah, we're just sort of getting the word out there that this is research that we're doing, and and to do that work, you know, you have to study the brain of someone who has the disease. So people who have had repetitive head injury, like boxers, like rugby players, like um, yeah, UFC. So these are the the kinds of people that you know, if they donate, we're going to learn a lot about this disease. Helen, is it is it possible um, to to give parents a message here? Is is there anything to look out for with your kids as such uh, from their sporting activities, or or you know if they've had a bad knock or anything of that nature? Is there anything conclusive yet, or is that still very much uh, up in the air? I think for for parents and and really for anyone playing contact sport, it's just thinking about the risk that you're taking. Do you, do you need to have your child in a contact environment when they're five or six? Probably not. Um, what can we do to kind of help um, kids recover? You're not pushing them back out into the field when they're not ready. Um, allowing them to, to really recover and not just that the symptoms have gone away, but actually, you know, do they feel right um, mentally, physically, all of those things. So I, I think there's just this emphasis on thinking about uh, head injury from a long-term perspective and thinking about what is this going to mean in the short term versus the long term. Right now, it's not really that big a deal if, if um, my child doesn't go right back out to contact sport right away. You know, let's, let's try and think about the long term and, and protecting our brain health. Yeah, I think uh, these days too, we're on the side of cautious. Uh, I remember as a kid growing up, you know, all you ever wanted to do is get back out there. Even if you've had an injury, you just want to get back out there and play with your mates and that sort of thing again. But I think uh, that's probably the message is to be a little bit cautious around that area as well. Uh, uh, just before we let you go, what's next for you in terms of the research around the CTE in sports issue? Yeah, um, we're really getting now into sort of these sort of mechanistic questions. We really want to understand what is actually happening in the brain. Um, once we're past this kind of, is it related to head injury, but what is actually happening from head injury to to dementia symptoms? And so um, I'm really interested and really keen to actually get more into the sort of lab work, getting into the actually studying the tissue and understanding what's happening and connecting with our colleagues around the world to, to do that across a lot of different um, sporting populations. Interesting, uh, very interesting, very, very topical. Uh, Dr. Helen Murray, thank you so much for your time this morning. 
uh, appreciated it. Uh, education for me in particular anyway, and I'm sure for a, a number of our listeners as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.